I want to say Paul McCartney called us shit not. I like to know exactly what shit sounds like. Thunder Rooster Podcast. We are back for another joyous, joyous, long bit of topic. <laughs> it's going to be a real long one. You better put the coffee on. I know. Uh, we had a real good time uh, doing our last episode. It was a little bit of a... It was kind of hard. I'm not going to lie. I had some <laughs> issues with it. But uh, while we're here, I'm Ron. And I'm Paul. And today we're actually joined by my lovely wife, Jessica. Hello. Woo! Jessica isn't quite mic'd up, but we'll make sure she's audible in the uh, post-production of this. But let's explain why you're here with us today, Jess. So, uh, I don't know if your viewers know, but we all work together. <laughs> yeah, we work And together. Yeah. I walked in, quite literally, to a funny interestingly staged room at work and <laughs> I found it hilarious. All right, Ron found it hilarious. I think Paul will find it hilarious. So I want to see if your mind goes to the same place mine okay. does. Let's, let's do it. Alright, here it is. What is that? What does that look like to you? Looks like a couch in the bathroom. Look closer. What's on the table? I mean, this is so far away. I'm kind of old in my vision but it looks like uh cleaning supplies it looks like we've got a box of clean eggs uh next to some air freshener of course uh-huh but we also have a uh big ass bottle of lotion <laughs> <laughs> so paul i don't know if this looks familiar but isn't this the women's restroom you got yelled at for going into <laughs> i know it looks a little bit different because <laughs> It looks different from when I used it to pump back in March. <laughs> this is the first time I, I, I used it. I don't recall that. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that God. wasn't there in March, so. Let's not neglect the whole uh, little thing of mints on the second shelf as, I guess, a reward for everyone. <laughs> when I saw that, the first thing that came to mind was, I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> the garage yes, with the couch yes. and very true. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. dude, you so got terrible. a jerk off booth. <laughs> oh man. I said it looks like a masturbation station. Uh, pretty much. I think that's kind of going there. I mean, we have these this celebration station, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Well, that was quite a surprise. <laughs> very good. Didn't know that existed, but now we know. Now we know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Neither did I. Uh, yeah, I mean, completely. Wow. And if you guys are wondering why we find it so funny, it's because there are a lot of guys who use that women's only restroom. Yeah. Like, there, there have been lot. complaints. <laughs> I think only Paul got yelled at for it, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's every, how it works. Every guy there in the upper management will tell you, oh, it's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. And you'll see a president even will go in there and use it. 
But yeah. But the minute I do, well, <laughs> you're in trouble now, Paul. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing. That's uh, <laughs> I'm very enlightened at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, some news that we have. Um, it's actually probably up by now because uh, we have a little bit of a delay on getting these out. But uh, we actually have our site up, thunderrooster.com. I'm sure we've had links in all of our videos by now. But also, you can hit us up on Instagram at Thunder Brewster Podcast. And uh, if you want any kind of beforehand kind of news toward what we're doing or maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff, check us out there. Uh, make sure you follow us. And if you're on YouTube watching this, make sure you subscribe if you like it. And just... Uh, let people know about us that way uh, we can grow and develop a little community for our, for our little thing or our own niche we're creating. But yeah. Oh, of course, if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> on uh, on Apple to I Apple Podcasts, I guess sure. it's called now. Yeah. yeah. So or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Uh, if if you like what you're listening to, please give us uh, a review. Uh, five stars would be appreciated, but we want to earn it. We don't just want five stars just for the sake of five stars, but anything helps. So just definitely, uh, if you don't mind taking the time. And again, we need to get a thousand subscribers or a thousand views. And then my ass gets scared. Yes. We're going to take his ass straight to Mansfield. Mansfield, Relive his darkest night. (laughs) Ghost terror. I can't wait. All right. Um, Today's episode is going to be Slipknot Maggots. Uh, I love this band so much. Uh, It's such a huge inspiration to me and the music I do. And I have been listening to them ever since I was challenged to play drums on this, on their first album. And something I think is really cool. Our last episode we did was over Tropic Thunder. If you haven't checked it out, uh, please do. But on that episode, we had a nice little coincidence of it being the anniversary of when it opened up on that day. And here we are again. (laughs) It is August 28th. Literally in pre-production, we're just looking and I go, Hey, Ron, you know what today is? You said no. I said, I didn't know. 19 years today. 19 years today, Iowa was Iowa released. came out. Wow. As a matter of fact, this is the Iowa-era mask that Corey wore. <laughs> is this Mick Iowa, uh, his Iowa mask? Or is this no, I think of- that's a newer one. I think that's probably from uh, probably from the latest, probably latest album. Oh, okay. If not, it probably came out around uh, the gray chapter. Okay. Either way, we have uh, the Nick Thompson mask over here with Paul. I'm rocking the Corey Taylor. But uh, yeah, uh, this band is really, really great. I love them. And so they've much. influenced a, a numerous amount of bands. Uh, now. So many, you know, just like as we had talked about Metallica before, that was that was a band that showcased and brought other people to the forefront to love this music. And and this this band in itself is a testament to their love of Metallica too. And and they're our right. two favorite bands, so it wouldn't be anything less to do it. Right. And uh, I want to mention that. Today we're just going to go up to uh, volume three. Yeah, we album. can't we can't cover this this mega band. In, yeah, in we're gonna do basically what we did with Metallica. You know, we're gonna end up having a second part to this later on, 
but we just want to give it respect. We want to make sure we're, we're doing it the right way. And uh, I know there's a load of trials and tribulations and highlights with the band after Volume 3. And we just want to give it the respect it deserves and have its own little part. And within that, it's, you know, that element. I mean, we we can relate. I think a lot of people can relate to the struggles that each of these individuals have faced either here or there in life. Right. And that's what, what brings us together music. It's what connects us. Right. And a lot of people will see this band as like almost like an overnight success. And that is not the case. No. Not one bit. This band really went through a a long period of just trying to evolve and grow into what it has become today. And it all started back. Uh, we're not going to try to roll too much into this. but So we're going to take it back to 95 where, uh, you know, it started out with uh, Sean Clown Crayon and uh, Paul Gray. They actually got a group together. It was them two. And uh, Danny Steele on guitar. I didn't also mention uh, they had Sean was playing drums, and Paul Gray obviously was playing bass. Danny Steele on the guitar, and they had a their first singer was a guy named Anders Colsevini or Colsefni. I'm sorry, Colsefni, <laughs> right? Colsefni. Colsefni. But yeah, uh, so that was the first kind of thing they were getting together. It was called the Pale Ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, there was so many bands before that that each member kind of had their little toes dipped into, you know. And I can kind of relate to that because, you know, they come from Des Moines, Iowa. It's a small little little community, basically. I wouldn't say it's like a major have city. Have you been to Iowa? I have. I and, you have. know, I have too. I mean, what parts have you been to? I was actually in Des Moines uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Me and my wife, actually, uh, we were on a road trip out to Arizona, and we actually okay. uh, stayed in Des Moines. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I've driven by there, uh, got, went to Field Dreams in Dyersville, I think it is, and uh, oh, saw, I saw a lot of corn, so that was as much as I saw <laughs> in Iowa, so I guess I can understand what they're what they're saying. But yeah, I can, I can get the whole, you know, kind of, you know, incestuous thing with bands you know, because back in the day, I grew up in a really small town in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And my early days of uh, playing and jamming with bands, the only options I had were little punk bands. You know, I was into metal and I was playing Slipknot on the drums, you know, in the early 2000s. <laughs> and the only real options I had were playing, you know, Green Day and Blink-182 songs, you know. <laughs> so I completely get the whole, you know, just trying to mix match with whatever you can. Right. You know, so we had these guys and, uh, you know, Anders was the vocalist and they had Donnie Steele guitar, Paul Gray bass, Sean was the drummer and they wanted to add some more percussion to the band, you know, so they invited Joey Jordanson over. And, you know, he had played with a band called uh, Modifidius, and that was kind of a decently known band around the area. But they brought him in and sub subsequently ended up making him the main drummer, obviously, because, you know, he's a badass. <laughs> so yeah. they ended up moving uh, Clown on over to percussion. 
And uh, the singer, Anders Kilsadny, he ended up doing percussion as well. And so from that point, they ended up uh, calling themselves uh, the Pale Ones. But they ended up doing their first show under the name Meld. Hmm. So we have this name, Pale Ones, and already right, right before they pay, play their first show, they changed the band name again. <laughs> Just make it more confusing. It's yeah. all right. And I want to say, you know, the six-member crew ended up uh, playing their first show on December 4th of 95. And uh, I believe uh, Corey Taylor was at that show. And he said that he was going to be the singer of that band. Safari Club, right? Oh, no. I'm ahead of myself on that one, actually. Uh-oh. They had actually named their band Slipknot by the time. Yes. So right. it would have been the rendition of Slipknot. Right. My I, bad. That's okay. Hey, that's right. <laughs> right? It was 90, 95, I think. Yeah. Uh, November 6th, I think. 95. First show with Corey. Uh, I think that was 90. Yeah, 96. Yeah. Okay, so in the early development of the band, uh, you know, Sean and Paul and Joey would all congregate around Joey's job at a, a Sinclair gas station. Exciting. And they would literally just get together and just plot, you know, their plans for the band and what they wanted to do with their music, you know, and the, and that's a lot of where the master plan really comes together for the band right you know i wonder you know if you could get any kind of transcripts or anything of that nature from all the conversations they'd have over that you know how I'm sure, interesting i'm sure someone be. out there probably heard or saw something yeah they could share with but yeah i mean imagine I, I would just i would love there to be some kind of like book or something just to kind of delve into that mm -hmm. but uh yeah so they all get together and they ended up changing their name to Slipknot because it was actually a title of one of their songs and Joey had uh, mentioned changing the name to mm -hmm. Slipknot because yep. I believe Meld was also a name of a song that they had on their first name. But moving along, they ended up uh, getting together and uh, recording at uh s and r or sr studios in des moines mm -hmm. and they spent 40 grand making this demo it's a lot of money i can't even fathom that you, you know, know i mean just considering that probably it was it took a lot of time to get everything right. together a lot of probably a lot of work they probably didn't make a lot of money what they were doing at their jobs and they were probably just fuck it and they want to you know you know live their dream yeah, interesting. And they, and they work tirelessly. Interesting enough, I mean, really, I mean, when it comes down to it, Sean Cran is the godfather of Slipknot. I mean, he's really, I mean, if you look at it now, he is literally the only member in the band today that has been there from day one. He's a clown. He's the clown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the The mastermind is the clown. Uh, clowns. I mean, he really put it in there. And honestly, the reason why he went so hard on it, he's, he had some very interesting um, life-altering things happen to him. He was a wilder. He worked overnights. And on the way home one day, 
he falls asleep at the wheel and has an accident. <laughs> that on top of some other news that his wife gave him over a death of a family member that made his mind up that he, he just wanted to do what he wanted with his life because life's too short, yep. you know? And I don't know if this is a hundred percent true and it might be just rumor or speculation, but I believe he owned a bar at some point and sold the bar to get that $40,000, which that would make sense of how you would get $40,000 to make an album, (laughs) you know, or get it some other way. Right. But yeah, but you know, the album didn't, they only ended up making, uh, you know, a thousand copies. Which, I mean, the rarity of that in itself, I mean, if you try and get a physical copy of Mate, Kill, Feed, Repeat, I mean, good it's luck, right? thousands of dollars. Like, good luck. like, I remember seeing one on eBay once, and it was so expensive. It was crazy expensive. But that's understandable. I mean, it's a rare item, you know. But, uh, yeah, it didn't have the success that it wanted to. I mean, it got some uh, local airplay and you know, around Des Moines, but nothing, nothing that they had in mind for. So the band ended up getting together and going back into the studio to record a demo specifically for record labels. Cause they did not get any attention whatsoever. No, not whatsoever. Off of this album. Nope. But, uh, yeah. So you want to take on over from here? Yeah. I mean, basically what I kind of want to, you know what I kind of have been fascinated with uh, along the lines of research and what I've kind of seen here and there, but I was really taken back as to the reasons about the band as far as their their masks, their outfits. Yeah, and there's a quote that I that I took that came from from Sean, and he says. You know, we wear masks because we are nobody and we are just nameless entities. And right. I was just like, shit, that's deep. Yeah. Meaning like just overall, you know, we're, we're just, we're just a number. We're just, you know, we're here, we're gone. Nothing out of the ordinary. Same with the uniforms. I mean, the, the idea of the barcode and a number to symbolize that. I mean, oh, that yeah. Is, that just blew me away. I never knew that. Yeah, until... to find out that that barcode was just a big middle finger to the music industry because yeah. they hated it. Yeah, they hated completely. how it turned out. That you know, and it just—it's such a mastermind thing, and it just goes to show you there is nothing in this band that is not planned out. From what they wear, what they play, the mask, mm-hmm. the art—you know—everything is done to I a mean, T. Yes, it is just right to the T. Yeah. Right. I could I could not believe that and you know, and then just seeing that. I mean, and then you have different you know, different eras, different masks. I mean, it just it just goes on and on and on. But just the idea, you know, for them, without these masks on, they're just like everyone else. But when they have them on, you know, they feel that they have a purpose, they can channel what they want and what they need. Right. And that was just I mean, I never really realize that until i saw that right so let's, it's deep. let's talk about the it's mask deep. for a minute okay <laughs> we wanted to do this specifically for the show obviously mm-hmm. you know it's a, it's a homage homage to uh yeah. slipknot Should have and let me a little tell bit you though. 
I have the utmost respect for these dudes because, you know, as I was preparing for this, I put this mask on and I sat down for a minute and started <laughs> testing my levels because I want to see how well I could actually be heard on the mic mm -hmm. in this mask. Right. And by the time I was done, I was done, uh, sitting down right here yeah. for maybe five minutes. Yeah. I took the mask off and already I had sweat. I didn't move or do any activity. So imagine these guys are fucking tearing ass up on a stage in jumpsuits with these masks on. Full activity. Three hour sets probably. Yeah. Well, now maybe. Uh -oh, <laughs> Even so, I mean back in the day <laughs> their first Two tour hours. was Ozfest in the middle of summer. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? All right, we'll we'll get more into that yeah, later. But yeah. <laughs> so when they're getting this uh this new demo that they're making, they decided they wanted a more melodic sound with vocals. They they felt that they were missing that. So they ended up plucking a lead singer from a local band called Stone Sour. Now I don't know about you. But I was a little surprised to find out that Stone Sour existed before Slipknot. I that I did not know at all. I could have sworn I was like, that's just I had no idea it was like ninety two, ninety five era around yeah. there. I could not believe it. And that's then they come crazy. out with their album though too. Yeah, and so crazy. Uh, it actually, when they changed the name to Slipknot and made their first show, Corey Taylor was at that show, and he says, "quote I'm going to play. I'm going to be the vocalist for this band." It's just so ironic how that happens. Right. It is crazy. And I'm really glad it happened that way. I think we agree. It's a cute little story that I <laughs> that I remember reading or watching. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Corey Taylor worked at a uh, porno shop in Des Moines, working the night shift. And uh, he tells a story like, you know, uh, I believe it was Sean and Paul and Joey. And they come into the store like they're going to buy stuff. They're just kind of quietly waiting around the corner, waiting to make their move to Taylor. You know, it's like, hey, we really like you'd be in our band. <laughs> you know, I'm sure if you hear it from Clown, it'd be completely different. But the way Corey told it was just like, you know, they're all coy and shy. Like, hey, would you like to join our band? We'd really like you. Your vocals are good. <laughs> He's like, hey, hang on one second. Let me go put my dildos away. Thanks. <laughs> right. Hold on. Let me put these dildos up. <laughs> I just counted all of them. They're there. <laughs> all right. So enter Corey Taylor. All right. <laughs> so uh, their singer that they had, Anders Kolsefni, um, he stays in the band just doing percussion. Okay. And he actually announces on stage on a show that he was quitting the band. So he leaves the band. They pull in another guy. Uh, I believe his name was Greg Welt. And uh, he plays the drums or plays percussion for a little while. Uh, I want to make sure I have that right. There's a lot of uh, members that go through this time. <laughs> so I, I'm going to try my best. Okay. So, yeah, he was the guy who was affectionately called uh, Cuddles. <laughs> But uh, we actually need to take a break. We'll be right back with more Slipknot. Huge advocate of masturbating. I find my urge to kill dwindles after a good nut. 
Back to do uh, the subliminal versus album with Slipknot. So, uh... Shut up! You shut up! Fuck you! And we're back. Hopefully I showed a uh, nice little clip there to hold us over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so... I forgot to mention earlier when they moved Craig to the samples, you know, he was originally playing the guitar. Right. Yep. And uh, obviously you need a guitar guitarist to fill in the void there. So they brought in Mick Thompson. You forgot me. Yeah. I forgot you. Been sitting here all day. Sorry. You know, I was twirling my little dreads here. But anyway, so Mick Thompson and Josh Brainerd are the guitarists during this part. And uh, they go into the studio to do their demo. And, uh, so they ended up, uh, replacing, um, their percussionist who left cuddles cuddles. And, uh, they ended up getting another guy named Brandon Darner and he ended up being in the band for maybe, I don't know, probably a month. Eh. It was very shortly <laughs> after he got in the band, he left. Sayonara. <laughs> so at he this gone. point, yeah. At this point, you know, I mean, right before that happened, you know, they ended up getting some attention from record labels off of this new demo that they made. Okay. And they ended up having Ross Robinson offer to produce the album just based off of a couple rehearsals that he set in, you know. And it was during this time that uh, they ended up recruiting DJ Sid Wilson into the band as the ninth member. And mainly what that boiled down to is, you know, they liked what he was doing on DJs on the DJ side of things, but they also just, he was a cool guy, you know, basically. <laughs> so they ended up bringing him in, you know, and uh, it was around this time that they ended up getting offered a record deal with Roadrunner Records and it was a half million dollar sign signing for a self, seven album contract. That doesn't sound that good. It really doesn't. <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not sure this point now. No. I'm sure there's been some uh, negotiations done since then considering they they just put out their sixth album. That's crazy. You know, a good <laughs> over 20 years later. So hopefully some stuff is done there. Mhm. So, anyways, uh, so Cuddles was actually fired from the band, and they brought in Brandon Darner, but he got out shortly after. So the band is on their way to record their debut album in Malibu, California, and they just happened to get Chris Fiend to mm-hmm. co- cover the percussion role, Mr. Pinocchio himself, the long nose. Enter that clip there. <laughs> <laughs> so they traveled to Malibu, California, work on that album. And partway through the recording of that album, uh, the band returned to Des Moines, Iowa for the Christmas break. And it was during this period that uh, Josh Brainerd decides to leave the band. Uh, he just did not like the direction that some of the decision making was being done. And he just up and left. <laughs> so they end up recruiting Mr. Jim Root, who had actually 
played for a really big band in the area called uh, Atomic Opera. And also, notably, he played with uh, Stone Sour. Stone Sour. With Mr. Corey Taylor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've watched the sound in the story for Jim Root, and he has a very detailed little thing about, uh, you know, Corey basically asking him to come along. And, actually, when Corey told him he was leaving Stone Sour to go to Slipknot. We were all extremely pissed, and I wanted to slit his throat in his sleep. I fucking crept into the fucking bedroom. It was the same room that we rehearsed in. And laid down on the bed, and I was like, hey, dickhead, wake up. He's like... I mean, how many members have been just in and out just in this short little period of time? This is all... Revolving door. This is all within a year. I mean, not even a full that's, year, that's, I don't think. That's not a good sign. No. Not a good sign for things to come. So, you know, they put out this album, and right after the album gets released, they end up going on their first tour, and that's OzFest. OzFest 99. But you gotta let them know, too, but how big that was. I mean, 10 countries, they were copying the charts, 100 chart positions, 10 countries. Oh yeah, by, just off the beginning of that, right? By the from from doing the Ozfest yeah. and having that major audience, you know, by the two thousands, that album was certified platinum. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, you have to think about the the buzz gets generated because at the time, I mean, who was wearing masks? Who was out there playing heavy metal music, causing a ruckus, wearing masks and stuff? Then, I mean, I know Guar was doing stuff like that then, but. Yeah. Not, not in this, not on this scale. No, you know? I can't imagine that. I mean, I mean, really, before you know the stage antics and you know the whole art side of things like that. You know, you had Kiss wearing makeup, right? So if you know, and Alex, Alice Cooper had his thing, you know. But, I mean, the band really stuck out like a sore thumb, and they really rode that. And the band, I mean, a band full of nine guys shoved in a metal tube going to all these places <laughs> they literally had a shit writer they'd maybe get a 30 pack of beer to split between all of them there are stories of the guys of the band literally grabbing what beer they could and hiding it in their bunk so they'd have some for later i mean these guys are sounds eating. like college <laughs> <laughs> right yeah these guys were eating shit sandwiches for this entire time i mean I don't know what kind of per diem deal they might have had or if they had one at all. These guys were just pouring their souls into these shows and getting this art out. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears. These guys were lighting each other on fire on stage every night. Injuries were had. So many emergency room visits <laughs> just I, on this yeah, tour. Yeah, I can only imagine. But, I mean... I, lo I love that first album. That was the first time I had ever heard Slipknot. And it was actually, I was in high school. And I had been playing drums for maybe about a year. And a buddy of mine, he uh, said, hey, I bet you can't play this. And he challenged me to learn the whole thing on drums. The whole album? The whole album. Oh. And I was like, what do you got? You know. He slides it over to me. And of course, we had CDs back then, <laughs> so I had my Still little have my little Walkman I had with me. Yes. I carried around. I yes. popped it in, 
And, you know, at the time I just started really having my own first real, uh, getting into music for myself for the first time. Cause before then I was just listening to whatever my sister and mom listened to in the car. You know what I mean? Sure. Understandable. So I was really into like corn and Limp Biscuit at this time. Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. <laughs> but I listened to this album and I'm like, uh, I can't even understand a word these guys are saying. What, what is this? <laughs> you know, and just for that reaction, I laugh at it so much now because I listen to stuff that you know, I appreciate stuff that you don't even understand. It it sounds like you're taking two cinder blocks and just rubbing them together. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's a good analogy. Right, right, right. But it's you not know. Pretty. <laughs> I fell in love with it, man. I mean, it's such a tribal drum beat through the whole thing, and that has a lot to attribute for the percussionists in the band, too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the drums are fast, they're visceral, they're absolutely technical, just so technical. Yes. And I really just fell in love with it. And man, let me tell you, I cut my teeth on that first album. I, my playing, I mean, I'll tell you what, my calves are probably as big as they are now because of that album. <laughs> constantly on that double bass. Well, I loved every minute of it. But yeah, they uh, they ended up getting some airplay on this album with Wait and Bleed. Love that song. Which was their really big hit, I mean, off that album. That was their single. It carried them everywhere. You know, other songs on that, that were really notable, obviously, Spit It Out, mm-hmm. uh, Surfacing, the new national fucking anthem that will be the closer for God knows how many years after that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, uh, I mean, Sick, even. Sick, such a great song. Mm-hmm. But, so, the band goes quickly right into the recording the next album. And that next album will completely turn the world upside down. (laughs) So we are going in to Iowa, which was released 19 years ago today. (laughs) All right. So what do you got on the, on the Iowa? Do you know where they, do you know where they recorded at? What's that? Do you know where they recorded at? Iowa. Yeah. Oh, and I circle gets a square. <laughs> I I trumped you. No, they recorded it in uh in L.A. <laughs> at Sound City and Sound Image Studios. Um, Ross Robinson returns. Uh, I may have forgotten to mention that. No, I did mention that he recorded the first or produced the first. He he comes again, and uh, you know, he recorded Corn's first couple of records, and. You know, something very no- notable about that was he has this reputation of really, like, getting everything he can out of you, yelling at you, throwing things at you. <laughs> even, Whatever works. Even, you know? even Slipknot has stories. I know Jim Root was saying, you know, he'd just gotten this custom Jackson guitar made, you know, and he's playing, trying to track something, and... Ross just goes up and kicks the shit out of his hand. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if I want it to be on fire, 
Working with Ross was intense as shit. We did 12 songs the first night we were there, and the whole time he is throwing potted plants at us. I grabbed one of the candles and I threw it against the wall as hard as I can. Wax went across his face and he's like, <laughs> screaming into the floor. It was so good. But I mean, he really uh, got Corey Taylor to really push the limits. I know you got some info on that. One of the things that I, and I know Ron knows all this, but as I'm looking into things, uh, uh, you know, just trying to be, you know, learning an instrument, kind of feeling like I'm a part of a community, a musician, but then just to know, like, his voice is so unique in the music industry as it is. I mean, I put him up there with Chris Cornell. I put him up there with... uh Dave Draymond, I put him up there with the best because he's so versatile. But yeah. to know that for someone like him and then to learn about what he he went through in his life, to know that he actually <laughs> inflicted pain on himself. And I've never heard anyone to do this, especially right. in a studio setting. Cutting. Cutting. Vomits. I mean, I can't even fathom. I don't know how to explain it. I mean... As far as he wanted to feel something, to feel something real, okay. But I mean, <laughs> it's definitely that blew extreme. my mind. Never, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anything as crazy as that. No, it's, it's definitely some major extremes there. Yeah, you know, and um, I believe it was left behind where uh, he just wanted to get down to the very core of himself to do this, and I he guess. actually stripped down naked, walked out in the middle of the main room of Sound City, and did left behind in two takes. <laughs> I mean, by cutting himself, Badass. throwing up on himself, you yeah, know, just, I, you can actually hear him breaking shit in the, in the vocal booth on the track on one of the tracks on Iowa, you know, I mean, at that point that just tells you that that's, that's blood, sweat and tears. There's no other way to explain that. I mean, Iowa is such a groundbreaking record. I mean, it is definitely one of my all time favorite albums. I mean, it is. It's got to be one of the heaviest things I've ever listened it, to. Yeah. For myself. It is so heavy from just the music itself is heavy, but I mean, the lyrics, the the way they're vocalized, I mean. Just how just it builds. All the layers. It builds. It just builds and builds and builds. And it's just like, and it's just like a cannon that just explodes. It just crushes just, you. Yeah. It's amazing. Blown away. I mean, uh, you know. Left Behind was their first single off of that album. And uh, <laughs> the the video for it is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'll have to throw that up here and, you know, just show a little clip of it. But, you know, they got them out in the field. You know, there's goats, there's rain and hail. There's <laughs> an abandoned house with a kid, you know, getting away from his bullies. And stuff. You know, it's, it's crazy. His kid's chopping up meat with a meat cleaver. <laughs> It's just all kinds of craziness. But they mainly got their main like radio push and was kind of their main breakout point when they started uh pushing uh what was the name of it? I blanked out. What did you blank out for? I don't know. I don't know. I had these moments where I have it right on the tip of my tongue and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh shit, I can't believe I just forgot this. <laughs> <laughs> It's my plague. I don't know why. <clears throat> well, that was part of, and that was a part of too with, uh, that was on the Resident Evil. Resident Evil, soundtrack. yeah. 
so they they you know the Ozfest the the you know just the, everyone getting involved at the word of mouth and then you have the Ozfest tours then then you're at the movies I mean it's just their brand is just building and building and building and right. it's like now it's it's a force to be reckoned with and now since people see what's out there they see and they hear what's going on and then it's just and then it spread like a wildfire I mean exactly. everyone. You know, again, our age groups, based on when we were listening to this, you know, we were in high school at this point, but a lot of kids right. our age totally, totally felt with what was going on and the message. And as I'm reading through the lyrics of, of these of these songs, I mean, yeah, I totally see it. And it will be prevalent forever. I mean, it is yeah. completely, completely current as now as it ever has been. No, definitely. You know, and after they have their, uh, their little spot, with uh, the Resident Evil soundtrack. Yeah. They were also on the movie called Rollerball. Yep. They were playing in the back of the crowd kind of thing. <laughs> and they were they were performing to 10 people, and they were just going balls to the wall. You know, 10 people. They were playing their song, I Am Hated. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that the movie might have bombed, but Slipknot definitely got out there, you know. But uh, we're going to take another uh, quick break, and we'll be right back. to it uh, you know the band had a lot of success with the release and the tense promotion of Iowa and they ended up selling out multiple large arenas in this tour that they put out for it that's what you want indeed uh, Iowa actually uh, peaked at number three on the billboard and number one in the UK and rightfully so Right, and uh, you know, the big hits from that album are Left Behind, My Plague, The Heretic Anthem, and of course, you can't leave out, you know, the real banger opening of it, People Equal Shit. Ooh, get into that later. Yeah, anyway. digest that one. <laughs> so, um, you know, they end up going on this hiatus after the touring because during this time there is some intense separation amongst the band members you know like i mentioned earlier being shoved into a tube with nine members plus crew you know you're bound to have some issues <laughs> you know i mean like all families do ron right i mean <laughs> not only that i mean there's nine guys you know, and, you know, a lot of testosterone, ironically enough, you know, and, you know, so it's all about like, you know, I guess that real kind of sense in high school, where you've got all these clicks and stuff, you know, and all the outsiders of that, you know, that's really Slipknot's main, you know, draw back in that day, you know, ironically enough, you know, during this time, 
the bands forming their own cliques. You know, you've got guys that are hanging out with each other more, more so than others. And, you know, in the midst of this, you know, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, Paul Gray, you know, he's the one member of the band that really doesn't have a problem with anybody and is getting really oh, he worried. Just, he just cool, chill, calm, relaxed. Yeah. He's getting really worried that, you know, the band is going to fall apart during this time. Right, because they almost did after the first album. Right. Yeah. It's funny because... It's like every album, it's just like, they just kept getting bigger, 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 and there's just more pressure, right. more this, more that, and... It there's almost, more of this yeah. pool yeah, almost from like every this side. This is too much. You know, and you got all these people, all the yes men in the music industry constantly trying to pull them apart, you know. Everybody's got this little person, you know, talking in their ear all the time. You're the best. What are you doing with these guys? You know, you could do so much better by yourself. You know, it's it's a drag that that has to happen. But so the band is on their hiatus. During this hiatus time, uh, they actually release uh, their second DVD, which is a live performance in uh, the UK. Uh, it was called Disaster Pieces. Mm-hmm. This was what really grabbed me by the balls and made me a Slipknot fan for the rest of my life, you know. Learning and playing that first album, you know, that was very instrumental in my musician uh, road, you know. Mm -hmm. So seeing them performing live in that manner, I mean, it's professionally done. The show is amazing. This DVD went double platinum. <laughs> and it really I mean, shows you go platinum, but when you go double platinum, double platinum. But I mean, I, I really can't sing the praises of this DVD anymore. If you have not seen it, you must make it a point to see this. Okay, but uh, so they go in this hiatus, and during this time, uh, a lot of uh, side projects have started and reformed. I know uh, Taylor and Root end up re- reforming Stone Sour. Mm-hmm. They're kicking that off, you know. Mm-hmm. They kicked it off with uh, their single Bother for the such, Spider-Man soundtrack. Such a great song. It is a great song. God, it's so good. And just Stone Sour as a whole. I mean, it was a great band. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, Joey Jordanson. He ended up... Uh, starting a uh, project called Murder Dolls with uh, with Wednesday 13. His name is the vocalist, and Joey is actually playing guitar, <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't know he could play guitar. I did then. not know. Nope. But, yeah. That was interesting. Very musical fella. And uh, we also have uh, Sean Crahan did a side project called To My Surprise, and as well as... Uh, the DJ, Sid Wilson, ended up going and doing his DJ thing under the moniker of uh, DJ Starscream. And I'll be honest, I I haven't heard any of Clowns to my surprise, which I'm going to do after this. <laughs> but, you know, there was some real, real wonders if this band was even going to get together. You know, there's actually a uh, quote from Joey during this time. Uh it's hard to see through this mess, so I'm going to try and find it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. 
I had to turn the page. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Jovi was quoted because uh, you know there's a lot of doubts about the band coming back together. And he was quoted saying, "I don't have a problem with anyone in Slipknot. I've seen comments from Corey saying there are things that need to be resolved, but." I have no fucking idea what he's talking about. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> so the band gets back together and they end up recording uh volume three. Subliminal verses. So they end up getting back together and they ended up renting out a mansion in LA, which happens to turn out to be the Houdini mansion. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Didn't uh <laughs> didn't Corey Taylor have quite to say about that? Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean uh so about a six month recording process. Yeah. Uh you know I personally really like this album a lot. There's a lot of good songs on there. That that was kind of my introduction to Slipknot. Yeah. Kind of through my roommate. That was like the first album I kinda of heard overall. Um but yeah. Uh the recording process about six months and then in the course of getting everything together things kind of went a little a little weird uh we talked about paranormal uh activities in our past podcast mm-hmm. they kind of had something to go with this uh several of the band members had quoted that uh you know there were a potential ghost activity spirit activity and i believe to this day most people if they've asked Corey about this he don't want to talk about it no it does not. <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him. You know, so just just wrap that in there. Obviously, trying to be on a schedule. Your record company's like, this is your third album and your you know your seven year deal. I need this out at this time, this time, this time. You know, and again, as far as the recording process, like we understood the first album, there was no timetable. They took years, all the time in the world to make it right. Whereas now they got to get this done. You had Rick Rubin there, obviously a successful producer, uh, run DMC, Red Hot Chili Peppers, the names go on and on. Yeah, co-founder of Columbia Records, or he was a part of Columbia yeah, Records, and I mean, also he co-founded Def Jam with uh, oh, Russell Simmons. Yep. So definitely he's a huge name in the music industry. So, Big. I mean, what better person anyone would be like, yeah, we'd love to have Rick Rubin to you know, guide us and mentor us, but... Right. Some of the band members enjoyed his company. Corey, not so much. Was not happy. No, Apparently, not at all. Uh, he'd show up for 45 minutes every week to well, produce an album. I was there, and I'm yeah. like, what the hell am I paying the shrink to sit here and babysit us for? Right. At that point, I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, Corey was just thinking, you know, he was just trying to slap his name on something, right. you know. Right. And he did not want their first single to be what it was, which turned out to be... uh uh was it duality no mm-hmm. it wasn't duality it was uh before i forget yeah before i forget okay they were Corey wanted that to be the first single and rick rubin did not think it was a good idea and rick rubin was fucking wrong <laughs> he's been wrong lately so whatever but okay. i mean respect to him you know sure, you no, gotta I'm give respect, respect I'm totally to you, but i'm totally kidding the guy is a genius but just on the on that premise of like it just didn't sound like it was uh executed the way it should have been you mm-hmm. know and I'm sure it's all been worked out by now, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it has. But, you know, that was a really rough time. Uh, mm-hmm. Corey Taylor ended up getting sober during this period because uh, his wife and a friend of his actually talked him off of a ledge of the Hyatt 
in LA is about to just end it all. They and he, and, down. and he had bouts of, you know, suicide at, at 15. I mean, yeah, he had some definitely a lot of trauma back in the day. I mean, guys been homeless several times. Um, you know, he had a rough childhood coming up, you know, a lot of his lyrics and stuff were from some real earthly problems that he had growing up, you know, I mean, he's talked about some really deep, dark stuff, you know, and this, I mean, those are traumatizing events and, you know, you don't know how people can overcome these things. And yeah, I mean, right now, and we all struggle, we have good and bad, but what we've been able to see is he's been able to overcome. Right. Those he's demons. seriously like, uh, I mean, seeing what he's become now is so amazing, especially knowing all the all the shit he's had to go through yeah. in his life. It is crazy. Right. It just shows his character how awesome mm-hmm. that man is and why people worship the ground he walks on. <laughs> because there's so many people that can relate to the message of this band. Yeah. So the band ends up putting it all together and getting some vulnerable verses out. Um. They had a quite a few uh, pretty big songs off that album. Mm-hmm. You know, you had "The Blister Exists," which is one of my favorite off that albums. But uh, you know, the "Before I Forget," "Duality," uh, "Vermilion Part One and Part yeah, Two." Those are really like just amazing and completely different songs. I know they're the same vein of it. I mean, but, yeah, it's just yeah, two different versions of you know, it's just. It's great. <laughs> Eerie, but really cool at the same time is what I kind of took from that. Right. All right, we are back. We are going to go into our pecking order and uh, what that is is our top five songs we're going to do from First album up to volume three, and then when we do our part two of the Slipknot, we are going to do from All Hope Is Gone onward. So we're going to start it out by number five, Disaster Piece mm-hmm. from Iowa. Mm-hmm. This song literally has all the right elements of Slipknot in it, and I just like the way that they just organize everything, you know, the dynamics and the groove and just I don't know it just has so many great things I love about this band all in one song I love it great choice (laughs) great choice Uh, I got number five I have the nameless of volume three I mean this just hits me in the nuts Uh, the way this song starts out just 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 build the drum and I mean it's just like and it just goes right into a growl I mean it's like holy shit yeah that's a great song. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number four is uh, Purity. And nice. this nice. song is its kind of interesting yeah. because um, it wasn't technically on their first album, their self-titled album, because it, they, there was some uh, a lawsuit actually filed against the band because I guess uh, it it's about... A girl being locked in a box <laughs> to keep her pure, basically. 
and I guess uh, somebody they knew had some kind of story or something along the same line, so it kept them from being able to put it on their first album. But, like, if you go and get, like, the special edition now, since they have it all settled day one, obviously, but uh, it's it's a bonus track now. And uh, the first time I heard, heard that song was off of the Disaster Pieces uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. And, man... It was such a great song. It really upset me that it wasn't on the first album. I was like, man, whoever sued them, what a dick. That's <laughs> how most people are. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> that was my number four. Good choice. Uh, this is off of Iowa. I'm sure you'd be surprised with me. <laughs> um, I never heard a title to a song like this. I mean, and then I heard it. it people equal shit. Yeah. I mean, this is just... This was mind blowing. <laughs> I think the first time I, I listened to the song, I listened to a live a live version on one of the albums I have, and it was just like, whoa. And I think a lot of people can attest day in and day out that most people do equal shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, very fitting. Yeah. I mean, Mick Thompson has hate tattooed in Japanese on his arm for a reason. You know, people suck sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think we can all, in all seriousness, sometimes we can relate to yeah. these people that we just don't really get along with and uh right that's just what it is <laughs> all right my number three is surfacing off of uh their self-titled album um they like to close this song out on their shows most of the time i don't know if oh, they do anymore okay. but it yeah. was their it was everybody's new national anthem you know just screaming at the top of your lungs fuck it all fuck this world fuck everything that you stand for don't belong, don't exist, don't give a shit. And that's how we feel don't ever judge me. We all have days <laughs> like that, especially now. I mean, you know, uh, especially me being, you know, an angsty teen, pissed off at all the things that I oh, couldn't shit. understand or couldn't control. You know, I was blasting this in my car. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got at number three? I'm going right toe to toe with you there, buddy. I'm going self-titled too. Yeah. Uh, wait and bleed. Wait. Yeah. Uh, great song. Roommate. My my friends. My brother's roommate. Just blare this all the time. Probably said that before. And yeah. uh, that song is amazing. The way it builds up, and then the scratching. I mean, the, mm-hmm. that was like the first time. I'm like, I'm listening to you know a heavy metal band with with scratching. Right. Especially this kind of music. It's definitely I, out of left field. And I was like, what the hell? And then I'm like, I listened to it a couple times. And I'm like, this really works. And this is so cool. Right, literally, but that was like probably the you know one of the very few songs I heard in college, and I'm just like, this song is just awesome. I'm pretty sure that Wait and Bleed, you know, that was the cherry popping moments for most Slipknot listeners. You oh, know, just, that was their first song that they heard, and just it's amazing. catchy. Yeah, and you know, I know that the 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 higher ups in the music industry, you know, the record label, and you know, when I was come getting together, you know, we want eleven more Wait and Bleeds. And that's when the band threw their middle fingers right. up and was like, no, we're going to give you the most heaviest <laughs> shit we can think of. You know, fuck you. Fuck you. Wanting more of this. You know, we're going to do what we're going to do. No more waiting bleeds, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> it's all my fault. You Performing. get one. Damn soul out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what's your number two, Ron? My number two is also uh, one you've mentioned. People equal shit. Uh, I love this song. Um, 
it may be up by now or it might be coming up soon, but I'm actually going to be doing a cover of this song because I just love every aspect of it. And it was just, it's one of those songs as a musician, I just wanted to dive in and feel every aspect of the song. So, you know, I didn't learn how to play any songs except not on the guitar until recently. Mind boggling to me, why not? But for some reason, I always just did drums on them. Really? <laughs> yeah. That. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I just love it. Uh, very angsty teen mm -hmm. so i was really mad about all kinds of things and this was definitely something i'd blast you know just in the car in my headphones at home and i was pissed off at my parents <laughs> boy can we all relate to that right in some way shape or form yeah we got it number two uh another volume three uh before i forget uh. and i personally really enjoyed this one because i I love that guitar riff at the beginning and the drums and it just builds and builds and builds. I mean, I know it's more of a, it's not as hard as some of their other songs per se, but I think that's a, that was a good formula for, for the band. But yeah, just the beginning riff. I just repeat, <laughs> repeat, oh, repeat. Yeah. I love it. No, I get it. I get it. Totally. And, uh, I'm not completely surprised by this. I know a lot of people will be, but I don't have a single volume three song on my top five. And it's not for lack of uh, awesome songs or anything. It's just a lot of mine come from Iowa. Right. Iowa is my shit. <laughs> but my number one is Left Behind off of Iowa. This is my favorite Slipknot song. Um... I can't really, you know, a lot of these favorites of mine that I'll have, I mean, it's hard to put into words of why it just clicks right. with me sure. on every level, you know, another um, incredible go, you know, guitar opening riff. It's just, Oh yes. It is just, it, the guitar parts cut. I mean, you have to have that cutting sound of guitar to, get in the mix of all the percussion, the samples, the DJ, you know, part of it, you know, Corey's vocals, the fucking just blasting of Joey Jordanson behind the actual set, you know. <laughs> but I just thought this song was really uh, great because mm -hmm. the left behind aspect of the song is actually Corey Taylor's uh, it's kind of like his afterthoughts of when he was homeless. You know, there was a time when he was, you know, living under a bridge, actually. And he befriended a lot of people that were in that similar certain situation. And, you know, it's kind of his thing of, like, he's never going to see these people again now. Right. You know, so it's like they got left behind, you know. I don't know. It just struck chord yeah. with me. Yeah, I mean, that could even be almost like, you know, an analogy or, you know, for we all can feel like we're left behind. Right. You know, yeah. I can I can see where the message is for certain with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Uh, what do you got, number one? I know you love it. Uh, another volume three, Ron. <laughs> Duality. Uh, this song, I go berserk over. Right. I go berserk over. I hear the beginning, I push my fingers into my, and then it's just like, I want to scream. Right. I just want to scream. I'll say eyes as well as I can, but yeah, that just, I hear that. It starts, the drums come in, and it goes right in the verse, and I'm like, 
Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Love it. That's a great banger. Great banger. Yes. You know, I, I find it funny. We really didn't talk much about the mask of the band and how it changed every Yeah, album. through different periods. You know, a lot of their art, you know, Sean's responsible for all the art direction of the band. And he made it a point, you know, every mask for every album cycle expresses how that band member's feeling, you know. Yep. Obviously, especially with his mask in particular, how greatly it changes. <laughs> and, you know, he has in-depth explanation for these changes. <laughs> I think we'll get more into that in our second part, though. But, uh... Yeah, we got more to go over. Uh, there's a lot better more to now. Go. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, though, we're going to have to talk about some pretty heavy stuff, uh, you know. Part two, we'll talk about the unfortunate loss of Paul Gray. Um, you know, he was really the glue of Slipknot, and uh, turns out he's he was actually a main contributor to the songwriting. You know, and they had they had uh, overcome that hump when they made their next album. But we'll get more into that next time. But uh, I think we can safely take these masks off <laughs> for our outro. I'm all right for it, but you want to take them off? Yeah, I'll take them off. Okay. <laughs> How are you feeling? Seems feeling pretty bad. good. Not too bad. It wasn't bad at all. No, not at all. I understand, though. I do. The camera stopped again. Just turn it back on. We'll figure it out. Paul's got a pure camera on him. Talk some, Paul. Hi. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. My name is Paul. Number I like one. long walks on the beach. Number two. Number one. Number two. <laughs> but yeah. In my back. There I am. All right. We'll make this short and sweet so uh won't get cut off anymore. But I really enjoyed uh, being able to kind of, you know, mull over you know, stuff that we really have an interest in. For and, sure. You know, I felt really, I felt really nice to talk about something like this. I've never had the opportunity to go in depth, even like Metallica or our favorite movies and stuff, but we'll do that. Keep on moving forward with that. And, uh, that's all we do. So we got our website up. It's uh thunderrooster.com. Check it out. Uh, also we have an Instagram it's at Thunder Rooster Podcast. Uh, head on over there. Follow us if you'd like. Subscribe. Like we mentioned before, trying to get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Or if you want, go to our episode number four, the Mansfield Reformatory. Make sure that like gets hit on that video. So you get scared shitless again. It's either a thousand YouTube subscribers or a thousand likes on that video. And I will take Paul back to the Mansfield Reformatory so we can relive his nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you're yeah. still listening or watching, yeah. uh, thank Thanks you so much. Yeah. And, you know, we'll keep them coming as long as you uh, keep paying attention. Sounds like a plan. All right. You guys have Thanks a good again. rest of your week and uh, keep rocking. See you. Later. Hey, I'm sorry. Fuck Ron. Yeah. Fuck Ron. 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 Fuck Ron.
that, especially if you come across wrong. Fuck wrong. <laughs>